Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN.com, Giants reporter. And we're sitting here on a Friday of week three. And let's be real. Ish got real quickly for the Giants, right? They play the Falcons on Sunday at MetLife Stadium. Eli Manning's jersey retirement day, number 10, getting, you know, retired forever. No one else will ever wear it. So a big day at the stadium, but also a big day for the current team because you have to be realistic here. Oh, and three, and we can pretty much flush this season down the toilet. I mean, unless you're planning on the NFC stinking to the nth degree like they did last year, where you can maybe win the division with six, seven wins. Oh, and three is just a killer. And if you lose to the Falcons at home on Eli Manning Jersey retirement day, no less, when theoretically you should have a good crowd in a good mood, everybody pumped up. We'll get to that in a minute. I'm so sure, you know, the Giants are uh, have that with their fan base right now, not in regards to Eli Manning, but in regards to what they think of this current team. But I mean, can you get a better matchup? Seriously, the Atlanta Falcons have given up what? 70, 80 points in the first two games on the road. So the Giants get the home game against Atlanta. I mean, seriously, what what could be, what is a softer landing right now than the Atlanta Falcons? Is it, you know, maybe the Jaguars? Maybe the Lions, the Texans with Davis Mills. Uh, I mean, like, but but the the Falcons game is definitely up there as the top, one of the top five, three, four, five best possible matchups that you could you can honestly think of at all in this spot for the Giants to get a win. If they don't get a win now, too, look what's on deck. New Orleans at New Orleans at Dallas, right? Division game, Dallas is Dak. You know, they're gonna win some games. And then home against the Rams. So it's not getting any easier. It's only getting harder. Giants are about three-point favorites in this game, so somewhere around there, two and a half, three and a half, depending on where you're looking, when you got it. But they blew that game in Washington last week. We we know that, right? The offsides, people in the Giants organization, they, they jumped offsides on a field goal to lose the game. Those are the kind of things, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. Those are the kind of things that you hoped with Joe Judge wouldn't happen. The jumping offsides, on the final drive for Washington. If I'm talking about the Giants defensively. Uh, jumping off sides on a field goal. Not converting on just endless opportunities. Being uber conservative. Running the ball twice. Passing on third down. When they get the ball back. When they had a chance to put the ball the game away. These are the things. By the way, Joe Jeff's super conservative. They've come to realize that over the year. I mean, he'll punt from the other team's 40 pretty consistently if he has. He's on the conservative side way more than I thought he was going to be. But, it, but these are the things. His attention to detail is supposed to be so impressive. And I still believe he has really, his attention to detail is really special. When you hear him talk, you can, you can hear it. The things he talks about, the way he describes certain things. But you got to see it on the field. He's doing exactly what he tells his team they can't do. Is Make those mistakes, make enough mistakes for you to lose, not vice versa. He doesn't sit there and preach about how you have to do all the right things to win. You have to not make enough. You have to learn to not make the mistakes that create losses. And that's exactly what they did. Now, the Giants didn't think they were offsides on the Dexter Lawrence field goal. But the bottom line is, again, details. What's the use of guessing on the snap count on the interior of the field goal? Because let's be honest. He's not moving at the same exact time as the ball. He's not that good. Sorry, he's not. Dexter Lawrence is not that good. So he's basically guessing, 
guess is right. Maybe moved at exactly the same time as the ball, but because he's moving before everyone else. This is what special teams coach Thomas McGehee said. Because he's because it looks different and he's moving and no one else is moving, it looks like he went early. But what's the chances of blocking a kick from the interior? Seriously, how many field goals you, you see get blocked? 5%? So you're jumping for the 5% chance to block a field goal? I'll tell you what. The chance of missing a 48-yard field goal with no time left, basically, is way higher than 5%. So just stay on sides. Don't jump off sides. Leave a second after the ball is snapped. These are the kind of attention to details that you almost expected from Joe Judge's team. And you better see them this week against the Falcons. Because 0-3, this team is in trouble. They're already in a spot where the fan base doesn't believe in this team. Right? I mean, seriously, think about it. The fan base is saying, and if you listen to people around, the, the optimism, you just, you can't have that overarching optimism that you had several years ago with this organization, right? There's been too many missteps, too many bad seasons, and really too many losses. So you're getting emails throughout the week, season ticket holders were, the Giants are putting them out, about limited tickets being available. And they did this in the opener too. Now I know, it says resale. And I think the way it works is these are ones that were, you know, people had basically sold back or given back to the Giants and then they resell or whatever it may be. And then the game ultimately is sold out. But the fact that the Giants are out there offering tickets available, limited tickets available to a game where Eli Manning's jersey is getting retired in week three of the season has to be disconcerting for the business side. Sorry. Getting people to come out to the stadium is not like it used to be. There's not a waiting list of a of a million people who will come to any game and are just dying to get in the stadium and will be there anytime. No, not with this team, not with this organization right now. Just no, sorry. They're not in that position anymore. It's not just them. There's also a business and lifestyle part of it. People really, this is a thing around the league, really, around the country. But it's hard to get people to come to the stadium because the the television experience of watching an NFL game is just so good. Now, working against the Giants here is that their offensive line, never good, is even rougher shape now. They're down two linemen, Nick Gates, who's still in a hospital down in, uh, I think it's actually Virginia, Fairfax. A few more procedures, operations. Really, the, the, the concern here is, you know, he snapped his leg. It's one of those ugly bone breaks, but you, the risk of infection is serious, so you have to be very careful. So multiple procedures, multi, a, a major precaution. He's still in the hospital. His season's over. Shane Lemieux tried to play through a tear in his patellar tendon. The Giants tried to downplay that. I had heard about it really in the middle of the summer. They downplayed it to me big time. I heard it wasn't going well. Heard he had a PRP shot at some point. Was trying basically everything to make it work. He lasted less than a half in the opener. And so the Giants are down their left guard. And their center, maybe left guard. I don't know, Ben Bredesen, who looks like he's going to start there. Uh, better cross his fingers because left guard is where Lemieux started. Didn't make it. Uh, Nick Gates got moved first half of that game. Didn't make it. And now Ben Bredesen, you're up. So three games, three starting left guards. Not good. Not good for an offensive line that already had questions. Now, Andrew Thomas played better. He's played better first two weeks. Uh, Nate Solder, eh. You're definitely looking at a, a a guy on that side who's struggling. I mean, I spoke to people around the league, multiple people who have told me they, they think he absolutely is done and can't play anymore. It was decent in the second half of that Washington game, so uh, maybe that's a little shred of optimism. 
on Nate Solder. But look, the Giants' tackle situation isn't great. They're starting a new center in Billy Price, who started last week, who wasn't great in pass protection. He's he's rough. And then at guard, you have Will Hernandez, who's been okay. He's been pretty good. And then you have on the other side, Ben Bredesen, who they traded for, you know, a month ago, less than a month. So it's not overly optimistic on that. And then you look at the other thing going on here. And I'm not just going to completely overlook because it's relevant. And and you say, okay, it's a small thing. And I agree. It is in the grand scheme of things, a small thing. Kenny Gala, he was yelling at Jason Garrett on the sideline. He admitted that, lost his emotions. His emotions got the best of him is what he said. Kadarius Tony was upset on the sideline. He's not playing. His playing time is like non-existent. He didn't touch the ball in Washington. So you got two of the receivers already frustrated. It's That was in week two. So that has definitely something that has to have you concerned a little bit. Your prized offseason acquisition, Kenny Gallagher, supposed to be your number one receiver. Admittedly, isn't where he wants to be yet. His wide receiver coach said that too. Said in a way, because he missed so much time with that hamstring injury. Now he's dealing with a hip injury. And what Tyke Tolbert said was actually, for Kenny's sake, he might have to take him out and play Kenny less in order to keep him healthier and fresh. So that's a concern there. But even bigger to me is that two games into his Giants tenure, he's already reached frustration on the sideline, sort of a bubbling point where he emotions got the best of him, something that's out of character for him in two weeks. Your rookie wide receiver, two games into his career, is already frustrated with his playing time or or not getting the ball or his role or whatever whatever it may be, whatever the frustration was he had on the sideline, but two games into his career. So to me, this is something you have to keep an eye on because it could signal that there's something deeper there with the offense, with Jason Garrett, with the way that they operate, with the schemes that they're running. So it's something I'm certainly going to be keeping my eye on, and you should too. Now, the ironic part is the Giants are coming off their best offensive game in forever. Scored 29 points. You know, should have had at least another four because uh, Daniel Jones had a touchdown called back on a bogus holding call on CJ Board. And then the Darius Slayton drop, which should have been a touchdown. So that's 11 more points. Giants should have scored 40. And yet, one of the things we're sitting here saying is, why is the number one receiver late in the fourth quarter getting frustrated with the offensive coordinator? Is it me or is something just not adding up here, right? What What's going on? Where that would be the case. Whoa. I have a little cold and my voice just cracked. That was bad. Trying to get worked up here. But seriously, what's going on here? They should have scored 40 points, but players are getting frustrated on the sideline. And now I got to watch to make sure it doesn't bubble over. Man, they better beat Atlanta. They better beat Atlanta. It will get ugly if they lose to Atlanta on Sunday. There's just no doubt about it. It will get ugly if they lose to Atlanta. On Sunday. Because where are the wins? Where are the wins at that point? If you can't beat Atlanta at home, where are you winning games? Ish got real quick for the Giants. Let's get to our guest. On to the next one. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. 
All right, let's bring in Jeff Schwartz, the host of Jeff Schwartz is Smarter Than You, works for Fox Sports, former Giants and Chiefs offensive lineman. Not your first time on this podcast, Jeff, but welcome again. Glad to be here. I'm sure Giants fans absolutely love hearing me talk about the Giants. So we need I'm, your I'm perspective. Sure we need your perspective because the offensive line right now is uh, quite the mess. I, I, I think we could say that fairly confidently at this point. Now, Shane Lemieux is now done for the year. Nick Gates's leg you know, shattered in half. Unfortunately, uh, yeah, That was bad. So wh- let's start out with. What do you, what do you, what do you, is there any optimism you have for you watch Thursday night? Yeah. You have optimism um, for this team. Look, they played better in the second half than I thought they would. Right. I mean, I, and maybe Washington so far, we've seen actually them kind of struggle to live up to the hype of, of the defensive line. People thought they'd be, um, and you know, they, they go to Buffalo this weekend. Maybe things change, but the Giants second half gave Daniel Jones a lot more time. Will Hernandez has looked much improved this season, which I think is good. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously losing Nick Gates is a big one. Cause if, if you notice early in the game, when he was at guard, he was helping, uh, Billy Price kind of set protections up, right. And making sure that things were, were in the right direction. And That's why he I got, thought they were actually going to fall apart because I thought, you know, he I, was, he was doing a lot of the calls. You were like, uh Oh, how are they going to get by now? And I, I thought so too. Um, but that wasn't the case. I mean, they figured it out in the second half of that game. And look, Nate Soldier is getting older. I mean, that that's kind of where he's at now. I think you're just trying to trying to get by with him at right tackle. You paid him the money, right? He kind of has to play. I mean, that's part of this as well. Is you know, guys kind of have to play because of their salary structure. He doesn't um, have to. I mean, they basically cut him down to the minimum of what they just then, absolutely then, couldn't then get off. Why the doesn't it's like, it's, it's like three million or something? Then why doesn't then why doesn't um then why doesn't Matt Pert though. I know they're talking about Matt Pert at guard, which I do not see him at guard. Yeah, that was I don't I don't think that's like a serious thing, really. I think that's just like okay, we need to have that option just in case because we keep losing guys. They're not like they have a lot of depth, but yeah. So so what so what is it? So what why why can't they put Pert at right tackle then? They just obviously didn't like what they saw enough this summer. They thought there was a better option to put Nate Soldier out there. Nate Soldier out there, not Soldier Soldier out yeah. there. And uh, that's where we're at. I mean, I, I'm surprised, to be honest with you. It's kind of an indictment, in my opinion, on, on Matt, where Matt Paird is. It, it, it is um, because you would, you would. And I thought I thought Matt would uh, improve kind of along a good track. Right. We saw last year, I think, some really good play from him. And I think you, you'd be disappointed that he hasn't maybe gone to the place you thought he'd be at. Um, but yeah, that this indictment on, on him, I guess. I mean, I think, you know, I've talked to you about this. You've written about this as well. Um, it's just, it's so hard when you have all these different voices in that room, right? When you have, you're not um, a fan of the four coach thing. No, I'm not. It's just because like, so let's say you're Andrew Thomas, right. And, and you're trying to continue to improve your play. Let's say you have a bad play. Who do you go? talk to like you talk to coach sale who's your offensive line coach you should talk to him right he's your offensive line coach and ben wilkerson is the is assistant him and sale are on the same page at least in theory they should be they should have the same message but then what happens with with flats or freddie kitchens comes over and gives you a, a, a bit of advice and talks to you about something and maybe it's a little different than what coach sale has to say or, or maybe one of them i don't know what their situation you know, one's in charge of tackles one's in charge of guards like i mean i just it's a, it's a lot of messaging coming from from guys that might have their own opinion on how things should be done. And one voice in that room 
I think would really help a lot of the young guys and just kind of let coach sale do what he needs to do to help these guys improve. But I think you've seen Thomas has probably been better than he was in the preseason, yeah, which is good. He, he's actually been pretty decent. So yeah. Far. He, he's been, he's been better uh, than I think we saw in the preseason. I think there was legit concern after that, that one or two drives they had in the preseason. So he's been better. And of course, look, when you get into a game situation, the way you game plan and the way you can, um, you know, uh, kind of help out, these players, it it should be a little bit different than the preseason. Um, but yeah, they've I think they've done a, a better job than I thought. Um, again, the second half of that game, Daniel Jones had time to throw, and that's all you can ask for. Let's be realistic, too. They played two of the defenses that I think when we're all said and done at the end of the year, as long as those two defenses stay healthy, they're going to be two of the best defenses in the league. Yes. So at some point, you know, it's going to ease up a little bit. Like they play the Cowboys twice. The Cowboys don't have the same personnel that Denver and, uh, you know, Washington are thrown out there on a daily basis uh, or on a regular basis. So I, th- I think we have to keep that in perspective as well. Of course, of course. Um, you know, that's part of it. You, you hope that against the better teams, you're able to just play well and give Jones time. Um, you obviously, like the Cowboys, for example, you know, if Lawrence is back playing, that's he's Atlanta a, this he's, week. He's a, Come on, Atlanta. He's, not, they're, they're, uh, look, this week. If the Giants, if the Giants don't take care of business this week, there's going to be, oh, it's not going to be pretty uh, because the Falcons. Over. Yeah, I mean, this week you lose to Atlanta at home and you're 0 3, your season's over. Well, Jordan, what, okay, the, the Giants have covered only four of like their last 15 games at home. <laughs> Why is that? I, someone asked me this yesterday yeah. on, on a podcast. And I obviously, I've, I've played many games in MetLife and it's not the best home field advantage. I mean, it's not like the the crowd's not raucous, right? It's a pretty sterile stadium, just structure wise, right? It's, it's, and it's by design, Mm -hmm. but it's not like any different than 27 other places. I agree. You know what what I think it is? What is it? All right. And I wrote about this. So first of all, it is a sterile environment. It's not a great environment, but on top of that, it's a little different than when you were here, Jeff, because the fan base at this point, I've never seen the fan base of the giants been this distraught. Like there's no, like, eternal optimism with this team anymore. Like those, even those fans at this point are like, you got to show me something, right? Like we, we need to, we need to see something before we're willing to believe in this team. So you have a fan base. That's, that's not it, half these games are empty, by the way, you know, the last right. I'm talking yeah. about this year, the past few years. I mean, if you go back and you look at Eli Manning's last game with yeah. the giants, that stadium is like 80% empty. I mean, so, yeah. It, this fan base has been beat up over these last eight years, and the 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 fan experience in stadium in the NFL is it's just getting harder. Do you know the Giants are emailing right now, right now? Eli Manning's jersey is getting retired. Yeah, there's there's tickets available to this game. Now I think they're resale tickets, so they're now they're actually sold out. But it's the tickets that some fans gave back. But that just goes to show you, I think where the organization and the fan base is at, at this point. And uh, I think that contributes to it. And also Jeff, they've been a bad team. They're the worst team in the league right now or close to it. I think, I don't know. They keep flip-flopping back and forth, I believe with Jacksonville, Uh, but they're in the conversation of worst team in the NFL since 2017. Yeah. It was 18 and 49. That that kind of number shocked me because I mean, I know the Giants haven't haven't had a lot of success winning, but that number is is very like I just didn't I didn't expect that number. I mean, and we struggled you know near the end with Coughlin. The, the, those numbers aren't, aren't reflective in that. I mean, but like 
18 wins in four years is, is any way you cut it. It's not going to, and, and that includes, by the way, that time period includes an 0 and 17, 0 and 16 season from the Browns. Like you didn't even win a game that year. And, and they've know, all the Browns have been decent the last two years. So, I know. I know. I mean, they but, have more wins in the last two years, basically, than we just named, right? They, did yeah. they go they eight and eight. And then when did they go last year, 10 and six? Uh, Somewhere around there, yeah. I mean, that's yeah, about, they, it's eighteen wins in the last yeah. two years alone. And 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 there, by the way, there's nothing saying that Giants can't do that e- either, right? I mean, you know, the Browns hired uh, Stefanski, who does a great job with that offense. They built up that defense, obviously, through the draft and free agency, and they they spent more money this year in free agency because they know they're close to competing for the AFC Championship. Um, but yeah, I mean, this game this weekend is between two teams that that have to win, right? The Falcons are zero and two, and they've pretty they've lost. In pretty spectacular fashion, both games. Um, Arthur Smith doesn't really quite know what I don't know what he's doing, but but the, Matt Ryan just hasn't looked very good. No, yeah. and obviously the Giants have to win this game because you know, as you mentioned, if they don't do it this year. Their season does feel over, even though there is now the extra week. So all the stats that we've had for years now about you know what happens when you lose your first two or three games, kind of are thrown out. Because uh, of that reason, I will say though the Giants have started zero and two many years in a row, and, and they've and they've had that that first they've had that the first win of the year happen in week two a bunch. So I uh, mean week three. So maybe this is the week. Uh, I think twice under Coughlin we were zero and two, and then we won week three. I'm looking right now. We won week three, four, and five both both years. I was there. So maybe week two is uh, to me week three. I keep saying week two. Week two, week three is the week that they kind of all put it together. Your confidence level in Billy Price being the center right now with Ben Bredesen, you know, to his left as the left yeah. guard. Where do where do where do you stand on that? Can they, can they? Can they survive? Let's just say. I mean, we're not expecting you know greatness yeah. out of those two guys at that combo, but can they survive? I mean, I think we saw last week that you know you really probably don't want Billy Price to be in one-on-one situations very often, and you know teams are going to scheme that up. I think otherwise he's going to be fine in the run game. Uh, I think he'll 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 be good enough. You know, once he gets kind of in the system, you know, he had to have that five-day grace period where he wasn't with the team because. Get the past COVID protocol. So, I mean, he hasn't spent a lot he's, of time. He's unvaccinated. Right. He has not spent a lot of time with the team. So I think that as the season goes on, you'll, you'll obviously get him much more comfortable in, um, in, uh, in the offense. And I think, I think he'll be fine. I mean, Nick Gates is playing well, so it's really hard. You're probably not going to play at that level uh, of Nick Gates, but you just need replacement level play. And I think that price Price can get there eventually. You know, when I look at it and you say, and you just said that you need like replacement level play. The problem is that, in my opinion, and you tell me, I don't see a guy, a high level guy, right? There's no all pro ball or all, all, all pro guy at all on that line, right? At least for now. We don't, no, we don't, we don't have any money. I, I don't think there will be. Point. I don't know. Can you be a good line without having at least that one of those guys? Uh, I, feel like, I feel like you need at least one of them. Am I, am I, am I wrong on that? By the way, this is why when Joe Looney left, we all kind of were like, that was stupid that he left, like that, or whatever the reason is he left because th- he would have played and he's a good center. Like he would, you wouldn't find, you've been, if you had Nick Gates at guard and Joe Looney at center, that's a, that's a start for a quality offensive line. Right. Um, but nonetheless, um, you know, I'm trying to think of the offensive lines in the NFL who are good, but don't have 
Oh man. I mean, Dallas has multiple. I mean, Dallas has New two Orleans Hall of Famers. Has Ron Armstead, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, you look at the stud. You look at the Colts who it's funny. It's funny. Uh, Carson Wentz shows up in Indianapolis offensive line sucks all of a sudden. It's weird how that works. Maybe that's <laughs> yeah, on, there uh, might be a common thread there. Yeah. Maybe it's Carson Wentz. Um, Eagles line is good. They have, they have, they have those guys. I mean, they Lane, have, they have Lane and Lane Brandon and, Brooks when he, when he plays. Yeah, unfortunately Brooks is hurt. Yeah. I mean, you look at around the NFL. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It is hard to find a good offensive line. I mean, okay. I'll give you an example. The, the Lions offensive line, when De- when Taylor Decker comes back, if Panay Sewell stays at left tackle, is is really good, but you know they have Frank Ragnall, I guess, right? So that kind of that there's their guy, right? Their elite player on that offensive line, um, plus Taylor Decker and Panay together are a form of of a good bookend tackle. So yeah, there really is not. The Lions have the best offensive line on a bad team. Put it like that. I mean, their offensive line is is much better than their team record will be this year, which is right. hard to do. But that's just a, a you know an example of a of a poorly built roster outside of the offensive line. Yeah, it's hard to find a good offensive line. Doesn't have, I mean, you know, even the Chiefs who are very young, Joe, Joe Tooney is one of the best guards in the NFL. So you're right. I mean, it is hard to have a really good offensive line unless you have elite level players. And right now, the Giants, I mean, even even Will Hernandez, I mean, is, is he's not close to being Pro Bowl, All Pro type player right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a problem. It's something they definitely need to uh, address at some point and figure out how how to get that guy because if Andrew Thomas, like the hope is when you drafted him for an overall. That it could develop into that guy, but I guess to ask him to do it right to do it right away, how unrealistic is that? Well, look, a lot of players, a lot of players, um, are outliers, and, and kind of may, it makes the rest of normal development look like it's it's taking too long, right? Because you in that class, you have Jedrick Wills come in from Cleveland and played really well, right? Right? Right away. Now that's an offense, though, that I could argue um, is very offensive line friendly. Now that doesn't actually mean that. That Jedrick Wills doesn't doesn't deserve the praise that he got. Tristan Wirfs comes in and play, like plays at all pro level right away at right tackle. Makai Becton played well when he was healthy. Then, then you look at this year, right? Rashawn Slater is, I mean, he's a stone wall at left tackle right now. That might they, be the one the Giants ultimately come to really regret. I mean, yeah, they, that was there for them. Panay Sewell, Panay Sewell obviously has played really well at left tackle, and you know. It does, but sometimes it does take a couple years for a player to get up to speed. And so when we see all those players play well, it's like, well, why has Andrew Thomas done it yet? But I, I argue, and I, I said this at the time of the draft, I mean, Andrew Thomas's hand placement coming out of Georgia really worried me. He was the fourth of, of the four tackles for me in that class for that reason. And we saw last year that his hand placement still was a concern. So, you know, it, it's it's normal, I think, for it to take a little bit of time. The problem is everyone else was really good right away. So it kind of skewed what right it what, made what they did look and, and look right, I, right. and i and i argued this in the offseason i'm not sure Kadarius tony was the right first round draft pick for the giants um but i understood them saying hey look we drafted andrew thomas we drafted matt pert we have will hernandez and shane lemieux and soldiers coming back we don't offensive line is not our i know they didn't play well last year but if you talk about development and where the guys are supposed to be in year two or year three I understood the Giants saying, hey, look, we're going to trade back and we're going to pass on, on Slater for now. They were also wanting to play him at guard, which I don't think he would have been a good guard. But nonetheless, like we're passing him for now and we'll try to build up our offensive line later in the draft, which I don't think they even did anyways. But but if you do that, you need to add depth, Jeff. That right? Right, which, which they didn't do. You need to load up on depth just in case. Which, the, which, the likelihood is well, that one, one or two of those guys is not going to 
develop like you want. Sure. But that's why you had Joe Looney and Zach Folden in camp. I know everyone likes to laugh about Zach Folden and Joe Looney being in camp, but that those were the guys I mean, you need. You need guys like that to be good offensive line, right? Because when guys get hurt, I mean, look, look at the Chiefs, right? The, if any of those starters get hurt, they have all replacements who know how to play football. Are they as good as the starters? No, but the guys who play football before and the guys you trust. And a big part of that, too, is the trust, right? Like if Joe Looney or Zach Fulton were to go into a game, are they as good as Nick Gates and Will Hernandez and Shane Lemieux? I don't know, but you trust them to do the job, right? Like you have faith. They know what right. to do, which is very important, right? Knowing what to do is, is half the battle offensive line, but it's why, you know, you could throw them in and they're serviceable. Yes, it's why I played eight years with, with seven injuries. I mean, like you throw Jeff in there. He, he he's going to get the job done. It might not be pretty. It's not going to make any mental errors. He's not going to get our quarterback killed. Um, and, and that that's important. And when those guys and a bunch of us, you know, we laughed about it because of, of why Joe Looney, we, think uh, retired quit whatever you want to put there already retired um those guys were important for this reason that was supposed to be their depth this year now they're left scrambling making trades and trying to pick guys off uh you know off the waivers and i just saw you know jackson barn got claimed so they're one less guy on the practice squad now and that's why those veteran guys are really important to have on your team because instead of having to get a billy price which is not a bad acquisition at the, at the moment i mean joe looney guys joe looney can play football like he's he, he can play, and he's obviously not in the NFL right now. Um, but that's why those depth guys are so important. All right, we're going to end on this, right? So it's Eli Manning weekend here. His, his jersey's getting retired. You played with the man. Give us your best Eli Manning story. What do you got? Uh, man, I, I wish I had better stories because I was hurt the whole time I was here, man. I just, I never really like got the full Eli. And I think, you know, as I said before, Eli was very close with that offensive line, of course, right? All the, all, you know, Deal and, and, and Snee and, and Soyberg and, uh, and O'Hara and McKenzie, yep. all those guys. They had a special bond that we never had with Eli, which is fine. I'm not at all like that's not, it's not, we didn't win a Super Bowl with Eli. You know, we kind of all just came and knew, right? It was JD and me and Weston and Pew was young, obviously. And we just kind of were, we're there. Right. And so I never had that bond with Eli that those guys had, which is fine. Again, I'm, I'm not at all like, I love Eli. It's nothing to do with Eli, but we just didn't have like that, that bond that, you know, all the pranking stories I've heard that just didn't happen with us. Cause we just didn't have that bond with Eli. Plus I was hurt the whole time. So like, I didn't really, I wasn't around the building and uh, around the facility very often, but I'll just tell you this. Um, Remember the, the Niners game with the Larry Donnell touchdown at the end of the game. So, you know, we had, oh, yeah, great, you know, great, great we, win we, actually. Yeah. So, the thing about Eli that um, and this is what happens when you have veteran quarterbacks, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't a big talker. We know that um, I, I'm glad, I'm glad by the way, his personality is shining a little bit on, on the, the Manning telecast. I feel like people look at his face. You're like, you're liking and, it. I like it. Yeah. I, yeah I, I think it's, I think it's really cool. So, but I remember coming in and the, and the nice part about having a veteran quarterback and a guy you trust is in big moments when they speak and when they tell you things are going to happen, you really believe them. So we're, you know, we get in the huddle for that two minute drive uh, to end the game. And Eli's like, we're going to freaking win this game. Um, and I was like, okay, cool. Like I, I just trusted him. Like I was like, all right, you got it, buddy. So we just went out and we protected our asses off and we went down the field and, and we won the game. Um, and just having that confidence whenever Eli was, was in the game, which was the whole time, obviously he started every, every, every game. Well, and, you weren't there, but there was a game. He didn't start. Well, I was, yeah, I was not there for that game. Correct. But part of it too is like, is I'm in, I don't get, I only played 13 games, but I, I watch all the film, obviously, you know, we were, we were never fooled. 
except it was one time we were fooled and on, on a pressure. He knew everything was happening. Um, but I remember too, like being on my stance uh, and Eli would point us in direction of, you know, of where to go in the protection. I pride myself in knowing what I'm doing, right? I pride myself in studying the defense and, and knowing where pressure coming from. I thought I was a member, I think we played Buffalo. I thought in my head, like, uh, uh, you sure? Like, I didn't say this out loud. Obviously, I'm like, you, uh, are we sure you lie? Like, I think it's coming over here. Of course, I was wrong. He was right. It was coming right where he, I mean, like, he just, he was great to play with. Uh, but again, I, I didn't have that I mean, relationship he was with good. Him. That part of the game is underrated for him. Like, he was, he, he was knew, really, he knew everything. And you see that now when you watch yeah. that show. I like just think he, his, his he sees per- and knows everything that's going on on the field. He, he was he was he was very good at keeping a low profile in New York and kind of I think letting people look at his sideline faces and like think that's who Eli was. I think he maybe enjoyed a little bit of that, just like keeping to himself. But oh, I mean, every every Thursday we had a blitz meeting and Eli would run the, the blitz meeting after practice. And we go through all the pressure for the quarterback to run the blitz meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we would, uh, it's after meetings are over. So we stay like extra 30 minutes because really, Eli is from the era. Same as I was, we didn't have iPads, right? We used to have to sit in the meeting room together and watch film as a group that I, I hate the iPads. Like I, I absolutely hate that. That's the way we're doing things because, because of the camaraderie part missing. Is that what you're saying? Well, the camaraderie, but also what is offensive alignment. You have to watch film together because you have to talk to your buddy about what's happening and how you're going to handle situations. When you go home and watch your iPad, you don't have that same connection to, to your, to your, to the guy who's playing next to you, because you right. might not, you might see different things or you might have to talk things over and remembering to watch that play the next day. I, I mean, I liked when we had no iPads, you'd come in. I, I didn't want, I saw someone yesterday talk about Gronk saying he never watches film, which is BS. Of course, of course he watches film. Um, and uh, someone mentioned um, uh, that, you know, the, he, he told a story one time that he never charges iPad, never watched it. And I was like, yeah, I actually believe that because a lot of older guys that grew up in the era of football, we didn't have iPads. Yeah. We, I didn't watch, I, I didn't watch film at home very often. I watched film at work. I would stay late or come early to watch film at work because I felt more comfortable watching film as a group and also just being at work and doing work and going home and being home. And, and so, um, yeah, the blitz meetings, Eli ran, I mean, it's just his knowledge and, um, his preparation, uh, were, were just top notch, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't have that. Like, I don't have a cool prank story. I mean, this Eli wasn't, you know, we just weren't, we didn't grow up with Eli, right? Like the old offensive line did. And so we just didn't have those relationships with Eli, but um, Eli's, I, I love Eli. He's fantastic. I hope he's a hall of famer one day. And I'm, I'm liking that he's, he's out uh, kind of showing his personality on the matting to, on the matting uh, telecast. It's Eli unleashed now, baby. You know, we it's nice, see, right? It's nice. You get to see he, the real Eli. We were talking about that with Daniel Jones. Now we want yeah. Daniel Jones on that show so they can pull out the real Daniel Jones. So is, right? is, is Daniel like Eli's a little different behind the scenes? Yeah, definitely. Like he okay. comes off as you know, he'll always say the right thing, quiet, shy. But look, Daniel's like closest friends on the team are basically Saquon and and Sterling Shepard, and like you know, he hangs out with them and goes out with them. Uh, you know, those are some of his closest friends. So th- there's another side of Daniel Jones that I, that we definitely do not see. Definitely. Yeah, and and so I remember too, like we went to dinner with Eli all the time, and like it, it's it's interesting when you play in a big city versus like a smaller city. Like no one bothered Eli; he just would he'd show up to dinner, he like come in his car out the back door, uh, into he just I I liked Eli Manning. I wish I had that relationship with him, but again, I I was hurt, and we just we were young at certain positions, and we just didn't have like that that relationship where. We've heard all the prank stories and things like that. We just didn't, we just didn't have that with him, which is fine. Just, Might be his greatest accomplishment, being able to pull that off in New York, be such a star, but yet 
kind of fly under the radar for a guy who is as big a star as he was. It's, it's, I, I think it's about, pretty think remarkable. About that for a second. It's it's pretty remarkable. I think I think part of it too is that you know he didn't live in New York, right? He lived in like we're all in Jersey, and so right. you're not just like going to the grocery store in Manhattan, right? Like, you're not just right. out and about. He's he's living. I know he lives in Summit now, but like you just. You just like you just go, you know, you're in a small town in Jersey. So it's it's a little different than like Derek Jeter being in Manhattan. Yeah. Wow. All right. I'm going to get you out of here, Jeff. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Your insight on the offensive line. Always first class. We'll do it again soon. Thank you very much. And good good, good luck with uh, Jeff Schwartz is smarter than you and Thank all you. your Fox Sports work. <laughs> all right. Take care, bud. On to the next one. Feeling like you need a marketing degree and an extra day in your week to successfully market your small business? Let Constant Contact do the heavy lifting for you. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has powerful tools that make it easy to grow your audience, engage your customers, and sell more to boost your business. Now, in just a few clicks, you can launch a marketing campaign that's tailored to your business and goals. That includes email, social, SMS, and more. So you can sell more, raise more, and fast-track your business growth. Plus, you can always count on Constant Contact's award-winning customer support for guidance along the way. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. That's Jeff Schwartz, ladies and gentlemen, always providing uh, fire insight. Uh, always a good personality. I really, I really always enjoyed talking to him. He's very entertaining, and I think you get the gist there. And he knows what he's talking about, obviously, especially when it comes to the offensive line. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to give you a real quick Jordan on the beat uh, prediction, and then we'll get out of here. Um, first, with the Jordan on the beat, let's go through this. Kadarius Tony story that's been going on here. Uh, The details being of which Tony put out a Instagram story quote, not long, you know, the next morning, maybe after the game, after he had zero touches, did nothing. Some people took it, interpreted it as he's not happy with his playing time. And Tony responds, you know, later in the day with that, some media be clowns and all of it. In the end, not good. Now, let me tell you where I stand from a reporting perspective. Okay, I've come to learn over these past few years, and I recommend that most people follow suit on this, that interpreting Instagram or any social media posts from guys is a very difficult thing to do. And I'm not in the business of doing it. So, I mean, sometimes guys quote, quote, tweet songs and, you know, sayings and who knows. And just write in ways that I don't know what the hell it means. I need a decoder. Somebody give me the decoder to make to tell me what this means in layman's terms or in football terms. And a lot of times it has nothing to do with football. So when something like that comes out, I prefer to completely not make any judgments and avoid it. 
because I don't know what the heck they're talking about. And so Kadarius Tony put something out. And there were some people out there that took it and immediately applied it to the football side. And there's a good chance that it had to do with the football side, even though the Giants, Tony and Judge said it had nothing to do with it. I don't know, though. Really, seriously. I have no idea. I have no idea what it meant. I don't even want to sit here and break down the wording of it. I mean, it's stupid because I I, I have no idea. Now, calling the media clowns, that's pretty self-explanatory. That part of it, you can understand. And he explained he didn't like the way that person or persons kind of ran with it. Whatever it may be. Teach, teach their own. But I'll say this. I'm going to try not to operate that way because there's you're leaving too much gray area, too much room for interpretation. by Go by taking a social media quote or whatever somebody says on social media when it's not it's not completely clear and directly applying it to football or his state of, of, of his mental state applying to football, which was the case here. And so then Tony gets up at his press conferences, says, I apologize to everyone except that person or persons, whatever it may be. And to be quite honest, we everyone's saying, who's that person? Who's that person? And I don't think any of us really know now. You can have guesses. Your guesses would be the same as mine, though. Go look at the people who took that social media quote and applied it to him being directly being unhappy to football, which in the end, like I said, I don't think if you ask me my opinion is probably ultimately wrong. But this is what happens. Put yourself in the compromising position if you say that. And they're like, hey, I wasn't talking about football. I was talking about blah, blah, blah. And he wouldn't really divulge exactly what he was talking about Kadarius Tony, but you know he's an interesting dude strange cat a little bit I mean go watch his press conference he's he's out there man he's out there he's you know just basically laughs at had questions in your face uh in the in the middle of press conferences uh just didn't want to answer the easy question about Kyle Pitts which I thought was strange because that was like a, a softball layup for him it was just he's all over the place He's interesting to do. And I asked him, I said, you know, why respond? Because it makes it seem like you're caring, right? So why respond? And he basically said, because I can. I have a mouth. And yeah, it's his right. He could respond. He could say whatever he wants within reason, obviously. And that's fine. He wants to call the clowns me. That's fine. But all this is doing is bringing extra attention onto himself, right? So he's already not producing on the field. Now Kadarius Tony's bringing extra attention to himself. And not only that, but it's showing. And he says, oh, this stuff doesn't affect me. Everyone's saying all this stuff about me out there doesn't affect me. And he's showing that it does affect him. That's what concerns me the most, is that he's hearing that outside noise. That's what I tried to ask him. Like, why? Why do you respond? This is showing, you know, how, how much are you listening to what the outside? He says he's not. But he obviously is if he's feeling compelled to respond. If you respond to every troll out there, like once you read a, reach a certain threshold and all the trolls are out there on social media, right? And they're telling you, you suck, you stink, you know, blah, 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 whatever it may be. If you responded to every one of them, once you read a, reach a, a certain threshold and become popular enough where, seriously, I get them every day and I'm not even popular. You know, Kadarius Tony is a first round pick in the NFL. You know, imagine what LeBron James gets or, you know, superstars, Tom Brady, although Tom Brady only does win. But anyway, even Tom Brady as haters. So like, this is part of the deal. You have to learn how to just ignore this stuff or you're going to spend all your time addressing it. That's the end of me addressing that situation, at least for now. Hopefully we don't have to get back into it later. How about the sa- this Sunday's game? Falcons coming to MetLife Stadium with a terrible defense. 80 points first two games. Giants 
coming off one of their best offensive performances in a while. Saquon Barkley had 10 days to get healthier and rest. He's knocking the rust off. You saw him break a long run last game. Has to be a little promising. Giants defense, pissed off, not happy with how they're playing so far. Gets a chance against a Falcons offense that, quite frankly, hasn't been very good. I mean, to me, this is all leaning towards Giants. So I'm going with 31 to 13. A rare, and by, by rare, I mean rare Giants comfortable victory. You just don't see these very often. The 31 to 13s, the 18 point win, the comfortable win where everything kind of clicks. I mean, we haven't seen that in years. Yeah, I know they won in Seattle last year. Great win. Offense kind of stumbled through that game. Remember, they were playing Colt McCoy, a quarterback, not Daniel Jones. So, you know, for the first time in a long time, the Giants put it together, get a nice, comfortable, easy win, get out of here at one and two, head to New Orleans next week, try and pull that one off, get back to 500. Season, not over, decent shape at one and two. That's what I see happening. And that's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. As always, tell your friends, like, subscribe, and Reach out to me. We'll do a Giants After Dark soon. Email, face, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. You know where to reach me. I'm Jordan Ronan. You're listening to Breaking Big Blue. See you next time.